knowing that the Spirit of God is with us and He's there with us. Uh, we sit at that table, the table of brotherhood uh, with the body of Christ, and then the table of brotherhood, Amajo Dei, uh, understanding that God has created all people in His image. And you and I have been called to reach the masses, to reach the world, to see the image of God in their lives and to call out what God has put in them and to lead them to a place where they can repent, where they can hear the gospel and respond to that. And so last week when we talked about having, or have you heard the good news, uh, I shared more about that and making sure we understand what we've heard and passing that on. But today I want to share a message that I've titled Never Forsaken. Never forsaken. And so that was a quick recap of all that stuff. Uh, if you want to go back on the podcast, you can get the whole uh, points of those sermons or you can read through the booklets. You'll find all that information. Um, but I'm guessing just about every person in this room or every person that's watching online has had an experience where someone has let you down, uh, where you have had, you've been, you felt forsaken, you felt abandoned. I don't know if it's your parents. I don't know if it's a sibling. Uh, maybe it's a close friend, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a church, uh, maybe it's God. Maybe th th there's been an opportunity in your life where you prayed and an answer didn't seem to come. Maybe it was a, a circumstance that didn't work out. You obeyed, you were as faithful as you knew how to be, and things just didn't go the way you expected. And there, there was this, this thought in your mind that you just couldn't overcome, that God has forsaken me. And the question I want us to ask today is, how do we overcome these moments? Whether we feel forsaken by God, whether we feel forsaken by other people, what do we do to overcome those things? I believe the table of intimacy is a key to that. It's at the table of intimacy where we eat the bread of the Word of God, where we are nourished by that bread. It's where we drink of the, the living water of the Spirit, where we find that refreshing. If we do not sit at the table of intimacy, if we do not eat of the bread of His Word, if we do not drink of the water of His Spirit, we are going to be confused by circumstances or by things that we walk through that confuse us because they don't work out the way we think they should work out. They don't work out the way we've expected them to work out. And so sitting at this table is where we hear from the Lord what He's doing, how He's doing it, or He just comes in a way to strengthen us. I think we see this in the life of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been taught, uh, I think most of us have been taught, that when Jesus was on the cross, He was forsaken by the Father. The Father, when Jesus felt the full weight of the sins of the world, the Father had to turn away because He couldn't look upon the sin. I might shock you today, but I don't think Scripture teaches that. I think there are three verses that we usually point to that give us this idea. And I think if we look at them in context, we're going to understand Jesus was never forsaken by God on the cross, and you and I are never forsaken by God either. And if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, I put it on the screen in the NIV. This is one of those verses where it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I left the little footnote A right there, because if you have an NIV Bible and you look at that footnote, it says, or to be a sin offering. So the question is, did God make Jesus sin, or did God make Jesus the sin offering? That's a great question, isn't it? 
because um, that, that, that means something totally different. So if you look in the NLT, the New Living Translation, same verse, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now again, you see a footnote, because these, these translators are saying, or it could be that he made him to be sin. We're just not sure. But the NIV translators think, uh, we think it's this one. The NLT thinks, mm, we think it's this one. And they're pretty much split as you look through translations. So in order to find out the truth, we need to know the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe, points to the fact that God was reconciling the world through Jesus Christ, which means Jesus Christ had to become a sin offering for you and I to be able to be made right with God. It's littered throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God sinless, spotless Lamb of God. If God made him to be sin, none of the other sacrifices were made to be sin. They were the sin sacrifices. They were the sacrifice for the sin, not the sin themselves. All throughout the Old Testament, God never turns away from a sacrifice. In fact, over and over and over, we're told that it's a pleasing aroma that goes up before the Lord. The Lord loves sacrifice for sin. Because it brings us back into relationship. It covers the sin that you and I have committed. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, follow God's example as his dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Second verse. The second verse that we point to comes from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13 where Habakkuk writes these words, Your eyes, speaking to God, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So it, it seems to say God can't look on sin. So if Jesus is the sin offering or he has become sin, we, he had to look away from where Jesus was. But if you look at the full verse, look at this one. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? God never agrees with what Habakkuk is saying. In fact, what Habakkuk is saying is God has just told him he's about to use the ruthless, treacherous, sinful, unbelievably wicked Babylonians to judge his own people for their sins. And Habakkuk is like, how is that possible? How could you use a wicked nation that's clearly more wicked than us? How could you use them to judge us? Because your eyes are too pure to look on evil. God never necessarily agrees with Habakkuk in that. If God can't look on evil, how can he use the Babylonians who are wicked and treacherous to judge his own people. The problem when we, when we have these scriptures, when we have these verses, we have to make sure we follow the pattern of scripture. From the first time sin is introduced to us in the Garden of Eden, we do not see the Father walking away. We see the Father coming near. He comes right into the garden, right up to Adam and Eve. What have you done? 
What have you done? And he makes a sacrifice for them in that moment. Now, yes, there's consequences to that sin. Yes, they have to leave the Garden of Eden. Yes, their relationship with God at that moment has been marred. But they were never forsaken. You and I are never forsaken. It is not in the nature or character of God to ever forsake anyone. He never turns his back. That doesn't mean there's not going to come a day where there's a judgment for sin. Absolutely, there's going to come a day where there's a judgment for sin. But God has been faithful to this point, and He will be faithful to the end. All throughout the Old Testament, we have God interacting with imperfect people, full of sinful behavior, leading them on a journey, ultimately, to the Messiah. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 4, even the promise here... Even if you have been banished, God says this to his people, to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Third verse. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. About three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus on the cross cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, right there. Jesus is forsaken, clearly, in our English Bibles. (laughs) Or maybe he just felt forsaken, Pastor Tom. Maybe he felt forsaken. I don't know what Jesus felt in that moment, and I won't ever claim to know what Jesus felt in that moment. But I'll tell you this. I believe something is happening here by the power of the Spirit that Jesus is literally prophesying to the people at the foot of the cross about what has taken place. Let's go back to the beginning of this passage from Matthew chapter 27. Don't worry, that's just the wind blowing on the roof. It's really weird. It's making a loud noise. But it, I, maybe it's the Spirit, I don't know. But it was happening early this morning too before y'all came. It scared me. But Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, when they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until about three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of intense suffering, in that moment of intense weakness, I can imagine Jesus, who has lost so much blood, is about to say it is accomplished and give up his spirit and die. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, points to a response. He is responding to the mockers at the foot of the cross, pointing them to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 wasn't called Psalm 22 back in the day. It was called, by, like all of the Psalms, by the first line of the Psalm. And so if we 
do what the chief priests are doing. They're proof texting. They're taking a part of the scripture that says, if, you're, if God is on your side, you wouldn't be crucified. If you're the Son of God, if you claim who you are, then this bad thing wouldn't be happening to you. There's no way you can be the Son of God because God rescues those who are His. But they're proof texting. And so Jesus points it out by bringing them back to the beginning of the psalm, which starts, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now listen to the words of David, because David would not have been considered forsaken by God. David was put on a pedestal. They knew that the Messiah would come from the line of David. They were waiting for a king to come, in the order of King David to set them free. So they know David's not forsaken by God. But listen to these words. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I... David, about himself, am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, since he delights in him. I don't know, I'm getting goosebumps up here, people, because this is unbelievable. So we skip down to verse 12. Look at verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Okay, he's talking about the people of God, the people of Israel, okay? And then he goes on to say the strong bulls of Bashan, which is a reference to one of the prophets about the wicked, uh, wicked high priests, if you will, the priestly line, the chief priests, the elders, all of those people that were mocking Jesus would be the, the, the bulls of Bashan who have gotten wealthy and fat off of the lies and the corruption that existed in this moment. They, they encircle me, roaring lions. They tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. You imagine standing on the, the cross, your, your bones become out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My, tongue, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. Gentiles. A pack of villains encircles me on my right and on my left. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. From the scourging that Jesus suffered and the flesh that was ripped off of his body, it's pretty clear that some of his bones at least were on display at that moment. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. We started the, 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 the service with this verse. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants. Here it is. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He is not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. 
from the cross, Jesus points them to himself as the Messiah. He has not been forsaken. He is not despised by God as they assume. He is the one that is actually redeeming them and doing all of the other things that we read at the end of the psalm at the beginning of the service. It is a mistake for us to assume that our circumstances point to our standing with God. Whether in our own lives or in the lives of others. And I know it's easy to do. I know it's easy to look at other people and think, oh, they're getting what they deserve. But can I tell you, we don't get what we deserve. And there's just as much sin in my life, most of the time, as the one I'm looking at thinking they're getting what they deserve. I've just become pretty immune to my own sin, my own pride, my own apathy, my own disobedience and rebellion against God. And I I trust the blood of Jesus to cover me and to know that I'm not forsaken, but those people, they're forsaken by God. The cross does not look like a victory. The religious leaders who crucified him thought it was a defeat. The powers of darkness thought it was a defeat. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. They thought it was defeat. Jesus knew it was victory. The Romans thought it was defeat. I know the one centurion said, surely this was the Son of God, but I don't believe that guy thought, wow, this is the Son of God, that's victory right there. Even him, I think, would have assumed. Even Jesus' own disciples thought it was defeat. Can I tell you, Jesus in this moment, with all that is happening to him, I, where, how does he muster the strength to respond from the cross and in that moment, in his dying breath, point people to the truth? And can you and I do that? I think the key is found in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. However, not my will, your will be done. In that moment, Luke tells us that an angel came and strengthened him. In order to have the kind of strength Jesus just displayed on the cross, you and I need to have the same kind of humility that Jesus had in the garden. In Philippians chapter 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. That's kingdom principle. Those who humble themselves receive greater grace. That power, that strength. How do I overcome? Because I, I know, I know when you're, you're being obedient, when you're praying, and you're still in pain physically, you're still in pain emotionally, you just, 
I don't know what else to do. Pastor Tom, I feel like everyone has forsaken me. I feel like everyone has turned their back on me. I feel like God has turned his back on me. I tell you, you need to sit at the table of intimacy and you need to let the Spirit of God wash over you and strengthen you and empower you and remind you you've never once been forsaken and you never will be forsaken. In Isaiah chapter 53, I love Isaiah chapter 53. I know that Isaiah is writing in his day and his time, but he's also pointing to the Messiah that is about to come. And he says, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. We looked on him and we thought he was forsaken, (laughs) but he was not. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. How does he not open his mouth? We live in a world where we, we, have always think, we always think we have to set the record straight. How was Jesus able to not open his mouth? John tells us because he had entrusted himself to the Father. He didn't care what man thought of him. He didn't care what others said about him. He knew their testimony wasn't true. He knew the testimony of the Father was true. And if you have to go around opening your mouth and setting all the records straight, you're going to do it till you die and you're going to waste all your energy. You don't need to set the record straight. You need to sit at the table of intimacy and reminded, be reminded what he speaks over you, not what your family speaks over you, Not what your parents speak over you. Not what your spouse speaks over you. Not what your boss speaks over you. Not what anyone speaks over you. Not even what your own thoughts say. Your own heart condemns you. But God is greater than your heart. And when you sit at that table, He reminds you that He's with you. Sorry if I get a little excited. He was led. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep... Before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth because he knew. He knew. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Oh, I hate that verse. And to cause him to suffer. And through, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. Here's the thing. I think sometimes we get confused because we, when we understand that Jesus died in our place, We sometimes, even though we know that in this world we're going to have trouble and suffering and there's going to be difficulty, we still get this misunderstanding that when we're walking through the fire, we're we're confused. We don't understand. How could this be happening? I've been faithful to God. How can this be happening? Why is this? I don't understand. Just because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin before God does not mean he delivered us from the war. There are still battles to be fought. There is still ground to be taken. And there are still going to be casualties. And I don't understand it. I don't know it. But I know that when I sit at the table of intimacy, I have strength to overcome what I think should be happening when it's not. 
The question is, do we walk in the level of humility that Jesus walked in? Are we ready to be poured out as an offering? Do we live in that level of obedience? In our country right now, there's a mass exodus happening from certain areas of the country. Sometimes people will even refer to those places as God-forsaken. we got to get away from the crazies. Who's going to reach the crazies? If all, if all of us leave those hard places, who's going to reach them? Church history is littered with the bodies of missionaries who have gone into communist nations and Islamic nations ready to lay down their lives. And the difference is you and I don't see ourselves as missionaries. I'm not a missionary. I'm a school teacher. I'm not a missionary. I'm, a, I'm an electrician. I'm an engineer. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm an accountant. I'm, I, what, what am I? I? I'm not a missionary. I mean, I, I don't need to lay my life down. God wants me to be happy. He wants me to be blessed. He wants me to live in a, the better neighborhood. He wants us as a church to get out of the inner city and move to the suburbs. Who's going to reach the inner city? Well, let the other people down. It's not safe for us to be down there. It's not safe for us to live in that neighborhood. It's not safe for us. And we run from anything that appears difficult or hard or unsafe because we got to get away from those people. Those are the very people we need to be reaching. And I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not claiming that anyone who's ever moved during this time of life is outside the will of God. I'm not saying that. Because I know people that have moved here recently who I think have been a, a blessing and a godsend to this community. And so, I'm not saying everyone, but what, what happens is, because I moved, well, everyone should move. Y'all should get out of that place. I mean, if you remember when Peter was walking with Jesus, and Jesus is like Peter, when you get old, you're going to go where you don't want to go. You're going to go to a place that, that uh, you're, and, he's, and he's talking about the kind of death that he's going to die. And Peter's like, what about him? What about John? And Jesus is like, you don't worry about John. You follow me. You follow me. Just because everybody moves out of your neighborhood doesn't mean you ought to move out of your neighborhood. Just because everybody's getting divorced these days doesn't mean you ought to be getting divorced these days. Just because everybody's leaving that workplace doesn't mean you ought to be leaving that workplace. You need to sit at the table of intimacy and know whether or not God's called you to walk that hard road. Because everybody doesn't get the easy path. Every disciple except John was martyred for their faith. Everyone. I think we forget that. When we, I mean, oh God, you, you got to get me a better life. You got to get me a better job. You got to get me a better spouse. You got to get me a better, 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 better. And God's like, no, I just, I need you to be willing to lay your life down. I need you to be willing, no matter what the cost, to go wherever I send you. Whether it's to an Islamic nation or it's to the other side of the tracks. That is just some crazy stuff right there, isn't it? Isaiah chapter 53 points to this picture. This is what it points to. The suffering servant, the man upon the cross, died in our place, brought us back into relationship with the Father. Absolutely. Absolutely. That doesn't mean you and I are exempt from the call to pick up our cross and follow him. Are we willing to lay our lives down? 
Are we willing to say, God, whatever the cost, I'm going to be a drink offering? There's a song by Hillsong called New Wine. And by the way, when you sing songs about I'm forgiven because you were forsaken, this sermon is not about having a song burning. Okay, Jesus was still forsaken by men. So you can still sing that song and keep your hands up. Don't be overthinking it. Like I know there are some people out there that every song of every word of every song has to be totally doctrinally correct. Heaven help us. It's a book burning all over again. We don't have that's not what this is about. It's about understanding that Jesus suffered in our place. And it was totally in the will of God. And today I think there's there's two different types of people in this room. I think there's a group of people you're running from what God has called you to do because it's hard. It's hard. You're looking for an easier path. You're looking for the path of least resistance. And you're doing it because you're looking there and you're like, well, that person, like, I, I'm even more faithful than them. Like, why, why do they get the easy path? You could come and sit in my office and we could drink coffee and we could talk about that, but neither one of us is going to figure it out. But if you sit at the table of intimacy, the Father will guide you. He'll lead you. He'll, he'll strengthen you. He'll empower you. Sometimes it's because of the Lord's discipline. Sometimes not. But even when it's His discipline, He does it up close. He doesn't abandon us. He is with us. And so I don't know whether it's through rebellion. You know God's called you to do something, but you're like, I'm not doing that. I've had times in my life where I felt like I knew what God was asking and I wasn't ready to go there. That's, that's a high cost. I don't, I don't want that. And we've had some wrestling matches. He always wins. Thankfully, he's never wrenched my hip out of socket. Sometimes it's just through plain apathy. We've just forgotten what he said. Sometimes we just forget God's called us and everything doesn't have to be easy to know that we're being obedient and faithful to Him. To this group, the call is today to pick up your cross and follow, to take the same attitude that Jesus had, to be willing to say, not my will, your will be done. To be willing to be poured out as a drink offering and maybe never vindicated on this earth. To be led like a lamb to the slaughter. I love the stories of missionaries who have given their life and as a result of giving their life have made a way for the gospel to, to enter a country it never could have gone into. Who's the one that's willing to, to shed their blood so that the gospel can go into your workplace or your neighborhood? And most of us are not being asked to shed our blood. We're just being asked to pay a cost. Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us about all the great men and women of faith that went before us and none of them saw what was promised. Some of them were sawn in two. Some of them were beaten and tortured, mauled by animals. Some of them had property taken away from them. And the world was not worthy of them. Our world may call you a pushover, may call you a punching bag, but the kingdom of God says the world isn't worthy when you're willing to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. The second group I think that's in the room is you're on the right path. 
but it's hard. And so because of that, you're questioning it. And I think Christy spoke to this when she prayed earlier. You're like, God, I don't know what else to do. Can I tell you, there's nothing else to do. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just remember. Remember who you are. Remember who he is. Remember that you're never forsaken. When the world looks at you, when your own thoughts betray you, he never abandons you. The Apostle Paul, my last scripture of the day, knew a life of suffering. Probably suffered more than any of us in this room. And he reminds us of these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, persecuted in some translations, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That's a tough call right there. But for some of you, the the message today is just stay faithful. Stay faithful. It's okay to be like David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just don't end there. Remember who you are and remember who he is and remember you're never forsaken. He will finish the work that he started in you. He will bring about good from everything we face. Unfortunately, the good sometimes isn't for us. It's for someone else. That's the nature of the kingdom. Do you know why Jesus came to this earth and lived the way that he did? Because that's how God lives. That's his character. That's his nature. Willing to lay down his life for others. Again, don't misunderstand This isn't a call to go find some suffering. I want to go, I want to go suffer for the Lord so that I can be more spiritual. You don't have to, you, you don't have to look for it. You just have to commit to lay your life down and it'll find you. And I promise you, all of heaven stands watch. The scripture teaches us his angels are ministering spirits sent to those who are to to help those that inherit salvation. That's us. They stand ready to strengthen, to empower, to be with you. You are never alone. And so, Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. Jesus, thank you for coming to give your life for us. Thank you for coming to be the sin offering so that we can be restored to right relationship with God. Father, for those that are in the room today that are wrestling with laying down their lives, that are wrestling with taking up their cross, that are wrestling with what it means to literally humble themselves to the point of obedience 
being willing to be poured out as a drink offering. Help us to come to that same place of humility, that same place where we declare, not my will, but your will be done. Help us not to run from the difficulties. Help us not to run from the hard relationships. Help us not to run from the trials and the hardships. Father, for those that are in this room, and maybe today they're at the point where they, they walked into the service today feeling like they're at a breaking point. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you strengthen? Would you renew their strength? Would you refresh their soul? Would you remind them who they are? Would you remind them that they're not forsaken? That they've never been abandoned? And that all of heaven stands over them today. cheering them on to stay faithful, to stay steadfast, to stay immovable to the call that God has put on their lives. Restore their hope today, I pray. Holy Spirit, all across this community today, I ask that you'd raise up a remnant, a group of believers that are willing to pay any cost to see your glory inhabit this community. God, that are willing to lay things down that we've been holding on to. That are willing to accept the call to difficult moments or difficult relationships or difficult positions to see your glory invade that space. Father, forgive us for trying to choose the easy road every time without even asking whether or not that's the path you've chosen for us. Help us to be a people that sit at the table of intimacy and follow you wherever you lead because we trust that you are good. And so Holy Spirit, give us strength today to humble ourselves to the place of obedience even to taking up our cross and following you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're in the room, and especially if you're one of those that maybe you, you're just, you just need someone else tangible to, to pray with you for that prayer. Um, after service today, I'm going to be over in this area. Our prayer team will be here. If you just want someone to agree with you, whether it's for that, whether maybe it's something else that is just on your heart that you didn't get prayer for earlier in the service, um, that's available after the service. So don't, you don't have to rush away. Um, we're here for that. If you want to spend time in prayer, you're more than welcome to, to move closer, to stay where you are, spend that time in prayer with the Lord. Uh, when you need to be dismissed, feel free to do that. Don't forget to pick up um, your, your children from Kidman. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back. Lots of information about the church. Offering baskets are there as well. Uh, thanks for being here today. God bless you as you go.